If you would, let's go once again to Psalm 119, and we're just going to keep plodding on. And of course, this is what uh, we have called the treatise on God's Word, 176 different views in this one song, uh, or psalm as it is in English, that deal with how God's Word works in our lives. Now, God's Word works. It always works. It never doesn't work. The only time that people say that God's Word doesn't work is when they thought something was in the Bible that actually isn't in there. Uh, God's Word always is right. And the psalmist here, as we've talked so many times, has is growing, and we've talked about this one, the Samic strophe, number 15 out of 22, is thinking in the way, the theme, verse 1, is blessed are the undefiled in the way, walking in the law of the Lord. Verse 2 just brings that out. Who walk in the law of the Lord, I'm sorry. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. Now that sets the mood for the entire strophe. And we start out 113 and we got through basically the first three and a half, almost four full verses of, of this one last week. He says, I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. Thou art my hiding place and my shield. I hope in thy word. Depart from me, ye evildoers, for I will keep the commandments of my God. Uphold me according unto thy word that I may live. And let me not be ashamed of my hope. Hold thou me up and I shall be safe. And I will have respect unto thy statutes continually. Thou hast trodden down all them that err from thy statutes, for their deceit is falsehood. Thou puttest away all the wicked of the earth like dross. Therefore I love thy testimonies. My flesh trembleth for fear of thee, and I am afraid of thy judgments. Now, last week we talked about verse 13. The word hate there actually means hate. Uh, and... If you truly love God's law, there are some things that you are going to hate. If you uh, uh, truly uh, hate vain thoughts, you will love God's law. And he says, thou art my hiding place. And, and then verse 115, it says, depart from me, ye evildoers, for I will keep the commandments of my God. And that is not to be understood in our common crash way, get away from me, all you wicked people, because I'm going to be righteous. Listen, if you start serving God, you don't have to worry about wicked people hanging around. He's given a warning. He says, if you're going to, if you're going to stick around, listen, I'm going to do right. I remember as a young man, we would have family members and and of course, Sunday was the day to visit. And so they would show up Sunday afternoon. And uh, they had driven about an hour out of Baltimore up to where our house was. And, 
And we were all sitting there, and my dad just would get up at the proper time and say, listen, uh, we got to get ready and go to church. We'll see you all later. And uh, they were like, whoa, wait a minute here. And said, well, you can come to church with me. No, that's all right. We'll just, uh, we'll just head on back home. Listen, when you do right, evildoers aren't going to hang around. And we come to verse 116. He says, uphold me according unto thy word that I may live, and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Now, how many times in life have you striven for something? Have you set your goal? Have you just looked and, you know, as we say, they put the blinders on so you can't see anything else, and this is what I am going to achieve, and you finally get that thing. You finally make that achievement. Maybe it's a promotion at work. Maybe it's a certain possession that you want to possess. Uh, maybe it's a certain uh, uh, skill that you want to acquire. And you say, listen, I'm giving everything I can. I'm going to get that thing because it's going to make a difference in my life. And you get that thing and you go, why am I not excited anymore? Has anybody ever been there? You see, that's being ashamed of your hope. Is it not? And there's an awful lot of things called hope in this life that we are ashamed of and should be ashamed of. The psalmist here, on the contrary, says, Uphold me according unto thy word that I may live. Once again, this theme, and it's going to be repeated sometimes I, I wonder if we shouldn't take a couple of Thursday nights and just pick some of these phrases uh, that are repeated over and over again through here uh, one is quicken thou me or give me life according to thy word and right here he's saying Lord if you uphold me according to your word I'm going to live this is what Jesus meant when he said if you'll know the truth, the truth shall make you free. This is what he meant when he said, I've come to give you life and that life more abundantly. This is what Jesus said when he said, if you believe in me, I will give you life that you seek. And if you don't believe in me, you are going to lose even the things that you think you have. This is what the Bible is talking about. Jesus repeated often. The first will be last. The last are going to be first. You see, there's always somebody who believes they need to be first in line. I can't wait to get to heaven and all those guys that have been cutting in in front of everybody all these years. No, I'm just teasing. But the simple truth of the matter is there are some people we look at and we say, oh, man, they, when we get to heaven, they are going to be first in line. God says, listen, I'm looking at things just a little differently than you are. If you'll put your faith and trust in me, in Jesus Christ, in his word, that's how you win at life. And the psalmist is saying here, uphold me according to thy word that I may live. 
and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Now, I want us here to, to go to Philippians chapter 3, and this is one of the reasons why uh, we, I continually reiterate that the Bible is its own greatest commentary. You want to understand the Bible, you've got to read the Bible. Now, Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 uh, if it were not for the fact that we've reviewed this verse regularly, it would be a very confusing verse the first time you read it, most of the time. And, and, and Paul is speaking here. In verse 11, he says, If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. And if we allowed that verse to stand all by itself, it may seem that Paul was somehow pursuing his salvation, that he wasn't really sure whether he had it, and yet that contradicts many verses in the Bible. When your understanding of one verse contradicts what another verse says, you know you're wrong. You have one Bible. And so we read the next verse, and he takes it a little further. He says, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Now that word apprehend means to get a hold of. It means to, uh, we use it often in law enforcement, they want to apprehend the criminal. They want to get control. And here the, uh, Paul is saying, listen, I'm trying to get a hold of this thing. I'm trying to apprehend that which also I am apprehended of. He said, I'm pressing forward in the next verse. I'm trying to reach out. I'm trying to get a hold of this thing called real Christianity. I want my life to reflect my relationship for Jesus Christ... I'm pressing on each and every day. I'm reaching out. I'm working. I'm struggling against myself and my knowledge. He said, but I'm already apprehended. I'm already being held on. I'm already under the control of Christ Jesus. Do you get that? And see, the psalmist is saying, uphold me according to thy word. He said, Lord, you lift me up. You hold me. You control me. You keep me solid according to your word that I may live. Because if I'm going to live in this life, I'm going to live by your word. The Apostle Paul says, listen, I'm reaching forward. I'm trying to get a hold of that. But it's already got a hold of me. And then the psalmist says, I don't want to be ashamed of my hope. When I finally get to heaven... I don't want to be ashamed of what I put my life in. We've often joked a little bit tongue-in-cheek and, and try not to be too serious about this, but there's an awful lot of people going through what we call midlife crisis. And why do they do that? It's because they wake up one day and realize what they've been putting their life on the line for isn't unashamable, if I can use that term. Uh, and I just did, so I guess I can. But uh, it doesn't make them, it will make them ashamed. 
How would you like to explain to your children 20 years down the road that the reason I didn't have time to spend with you and, and care about you as a father is because I was too busy trying to make money? Would that make sense to your kids? I would hope not. But a lot of times we couch it in terms like this. Well, I was just trying to give you the things that you needed. Well, listen, kids don't need things. They need parents. Amen? And when you stand before God and He says, What did you invest your life for? What did you put your utmost effort into? What was the hope of your life? What did you want to accomplish? Well, I just wanted to pay my bills and enjoy life. Could I warn you, God will not be impressed. And you will be ashamed. The psalmist says, I've put my hope in the fact that God is upholding me according to His Word. Let me ask you a question. Has God ever done anything not according to His Word? God always works within the boundaries of His Word. This is a way you can know whether something is truth, whether it is truly from God, or whether it is from man. He, he is asking, He is asking God to uphold him, to hold on to him, if we want to borrow Paul's word, to apprehend him according to his word that he might have life because life is according to the words of Jesus Christ. It's according to the words of our Bible. It says, and let me not be ashamed of my hope. And again, let's just take for a moment maybe... David is the, the author. We are not 100% sure who is the author. Most believe that it is David. How many of you remember the Valley of Elah, 1 Samuel chapter 17? There was some hope that day. Nine foot, six inches tall hope of the Philistine army in their hero, Goliath. And here comes a 16, 17-year-old little boy with a slingshot, well, not a slingshot, he had a sling, that's a different thing altogether, but, and a staff, a stick. The giant dies, who was ashamed? You see, David talked many times about shame, and when he meant shame in his life, he meant defeat, and he meant death. There's, there's some, none of us know what the future holds. I'll tell you where I've put my hope is in God's word and in what God is doing. And I'll tell you, when the stock market went bananas just a little while back, as it always will and will continue to do so, you know what, that didn't affect my hope because I don't have anything over there. I don't have enough to invest in Wall Street because I put it other places. But when it happens, whatever it is going to be, I want my hope to bring me through that problem, not to be stopped by it. 
Saturday is the anniversary of the attack of September 11th. And I remember very clearly afterwards and, you know, traveling and being out in other churches. What, what are you doing different now? And at first I was just really nervous about that thing. I said, well, we're not doing anything different. And finally it dawned on me, you know what? We, we were doing the right things before September 11th. We didn't have to change after the crisis. That's what the psalmist is talking about. Not being ashamed of what your hope is. Amen? Not being ashamed of where you invested your life. And there may be those that look and say, well, listen, um, you, you're putting your life in the church and in all those things, and that's good because you're a preacher, but, but what about real life? Hey, let me tell you something. This is real life. And I'm living it. I'm enjoying it. And it can be a real life for you if you put your hope in the right place instead of the ideas and the thoughts of man. And remember, we've come 116 different ways God works in the life of the psalmist before we get to this point. So don't try to jump in here and expect this mature relationship with God that can stand the test of everything that is out there until you've gotten through the first 115 verses of living under the influence of God's Word. Can we say amen to that? Now let's look on. It says, Hold thou me up, and I shall be safe. And I will have respect unto thy statutes continually. He says, hold thou me up. Now remember, this is Hebrew poetry, not English poetry. And so he's taking the leading theme the idea of verse 16, and he's simply repeating it, Uphold thou me according to thy word, and I shall live. He says, Now hold thou me up, and I'll be safe. How many of you have ever gotten in trouble trying to be safe? Almost everybody. You're on the road, and somebody's weaving in and out and driving crazy and so you try to be safe. I'm going to pass this guy and get around him. Woo, woo, woo. Said, oh, no. You don't understand, officer. This guy's driving crazy and I had to go 80 miles an hour to get around him. And, and No, you never have to break the law to be safe. He says, up, he says, hold me up according to your word. Hold thou me up and I shall be safe. There is safety in obedience to God's word. I mean, just stop and think about it. You're growing up in these days and times. You know what? You 
obey God's word, and I can tell you one place you're not going to be Friday night and Saturday night. It's in the nightclubs and the bars and all of those things. There's a lot of unsafe things that go on there now, isn't there? If you obey the word of God, young person, you're not going to be committing immorality. There's an awful lot of unsafe things that happen to people because of immorality. Amen? If I will be held by the word of God, let's go back to verse 115. Depart from me, ye evildoers. Do you think the evildoers are going to be around while you're building your life upon the word of God? No way. And you're going to be safe. And then it says, I will have respect unto thy statutes continually. Now this again is one of those themes that's repeated several times and we're not going to go back through uh, the psalm tonight to pick up those times, but he talks about, Lord, uh, when you enlarge my heart, I'm going to run in your ways. I'm going to have respect unto your commandments. Here he says, I'm going to respect them continually. How many of you tried out God's word and found out it to be 100% true in a real situation in your life? Amen? And when you find out that God's word works, what are you going to do? You're going to respect that book called the Bible now, aren't you? The psalmist has been through enough trials and been through enough tribulation that he said, God, if you'll just help me be obedient to your word, I'm going to have life. I'm going to be safe. He says, I'm not going to be ashamed is the, is the other part of, of verse 116 and verse 117. He says, I'm going to respect your statutes continually. One of the greatest temptations the devil loves to throw in our way. You can bend the rules just this once. Isn't that the way it works? The root of every sin is just do a little bit wrong and something good's going to happen. No, that's not being upheld. By God. That's not being upheld by the Word of God. If we put it in Paul's terminology in the book of Philippians, that's not pressing toward that mark of the prize of the high calling in Jesus. That's not trying to apprehend that which already has me. It is undermining my relationship with God when I step out of the truth of God's Word. And then he has a couple, two verses that are, again, somewhat harsh toward those that are not following the word of God. Let's just read them together here. Verse 118 says, Thou hast trodden down all them that err from thy statutes, for their deceit is falsehood. Verse 119, Thou puttest away all the wicked of the earth like dross, therefore I love thy testimonies. Now, he's bringing a contrast. 
Verse 116, 117, You hold me according to thy words, and I'm going to have blessings. Here's what happens to those who err from thy statutes. They're going to be trodden down. How many remember Mary Baker Glover Patterson Eddy? Does anybody know that name? Okay, a few people do. The founder of the Christian Science Movement. If you drive, I think there's a f- one left in Manhattan o- up in the 70s. It's called a Christian Science Reading Room. Uh, may I recommend, uh, just warn you, if you love this book called the Bible, just stay out of that place. Uh, because it is just the philosophy and the teaching uh, of a woman named Mary Baker Eddy. And, of course, that was the last husband she had uh, when she died, I believe. Uh, I'm pretty sure she had seven or eight. Uh, That tells me there's some unhappiness there somewhere. But what she's most known for is when she was buried, one of her teachings is death is just a state of mind. Uh, I used to work in a nursing home. I, I could tell you death is not a state of mind. It's real. It's an awful thing. Nobody likes death. But when she finally reached that state of mind, as all human beings do, she had a telephone buried in her casket with her, and they kept paying the telephone bill because she promised that she would call back from the grave. You say, Pastor, you're making this up. No, I wish I were. You can look it up and read it actually happened, and I can't remember when. I wish, I wish I was a little better at my research, but it, it was in recent history. They kept that phone going for like 30 years, and finally they decided that they would cut the line and stop paying for the phone because she probably wasn't going to call back. Not an excellent illustration, but the hopes and the plans and the teachings of Miss Eddy should have stopped right there, should they not? Listen, when you begin to err from God's statutes, believing death is a state of mind is about as big an error as the human soul can make. You're the one that's going to be trodden down and look foolish. You look at these people, how many of you remember all the promises of communism? I mean, we're just going to make the the perfect society and everybody's going to have everything they need because everybody's going to give everything to everybody else. The the dirty little catch-22 is once you give up everything, somebody has to distribute it. And the person who distributes the goods is not God, so it's... One for you, two for me, one for you, three for me. And that's the way communism has always functioned since the beginning of time. How many of you remember the words of our former president? Mr. Gorbachev, tear that wall down and down it came. And that wall was trodden down by people who wanted what? Freedom. 
you know the Son, ye shall be what? Free indeed. You see, you follow these words and you're going to be safe. You're going to be held up. You're going to love God's Word more and you're going to keep respecting His Word and you're going to move closer to Him. You begin to err from His statutes. It says, for their deceit is falsehood. If we would just press on with that uh, illustration of communism. The first on the chopping block of communism, the first people that have to go for communism to take over a society is the freedom-loving, thinking people. The people who will stand up, the people who will do what is right, the people who will voice their opinions. You know who the second one Second group of people that's on the chopping block when communism takes over. All of those members of that society who infiltrated it and turned it toward communism. How many of you have heard of a guy named Stalin? You know, he killed almost as many communists as he did non-communists. Because those people that went in under Vladimir Lenin and under all of the early leaders and betrayed the Russian people to communism, they have a little saying. If you'll betray your own people, you'll betray me. So we'll use you to betray your people and then we'll uh, eliminate you and then we'll have control of society. Their deceit is falsehood. How many of you have ever felt lied to by a politician? You know why? Because that's what politicians do. That's where our society is going. We threw God out of society in the 1960s and now we wonder why the devil has shown up. You have to think real hard about that one. And yet, when something goes wrong, what's the first three words out of someone's mouth? Oh, my God. Don't do that. If you want to pray to God, get down on your knees and pray respectfully, carefully. But it says, Thou hast trodden down all them that err from thy statutes, for their deceit is falsehood. Thou puttest away all the wicked of the earth like dross. Now, the idea of dross here, how many of you are familiar with what that word means, dross, D-R-O-S-S? It is the impurities that are removed when a metal is refined. Normally in the Bible, the, the metal that is referred to is silver because it's easily done. You could do it over an open fire and, and uh, they would just scrape the dross out of the pot, the refining pot. There, there is a process here of removing the dross. Now... I've heard preachers preach and uh, say things like, 
If God doesn't judge America, he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. Well, let me tell you something. God doesn't owe Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. But God will remove the wicked in his time, in his process. Dross is only removed through the process of refining the metal. It is God's long-suffering, and boy, you could spend the whole night on this subject. It is God's long-suffering and his patience with the wicked that has allowed you and I to turn from our religion and from our sin and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. It is his long-suffering, it is his process of removing the dross and preparing them for the judgment that is coming that gives you and I time to fall on our faces as Christians and make a mess of things and get up and repent and come back. Do you see why the second half of that verse says, For I, therefore, I love thy testimonies. Saying, God, you're going to keep your word. You're going to judge those that go against it. You are going to bless those that keep it. And in fact, I've skipped over a lot, lot of scripture references here that's in your outline. And uh, let's just go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 for a moment. It's interesting, in 1 Corinthians, Paul mentions fire and precious gold and, and precious stones. And, and 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, it says, For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ, now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. And if any man's work abide that which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. But if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Now here's what Paul is trying to explain to the church of Corinth. There's no other foundation than the Lord Jesus Christ, but we're going to build upon that foundation. How are you going to build upon that foundation? By the way you live, the deeds you do, the things that you accomplish in this life. Could we talk about that process of apprehending that for which you're already apprehended of? That is the building process, and it is going to be judged. God is going to take care of the wicked. How many of you have wasted thoughts and wasted effort and wasted your time I wish God would just do something right now to those people that speak against the Bible. Just rain fire from heaven. Now, I know no one here has ever thought that way, have they? But as human beings, don't we just every once in a while go, and I wish God would just do something about these people. The story of Huxley 
uh, a man that lived around the turn of the 20th century, late 1800s, early 1900s. He would place his watch on the on a podium in a hall that he had rented and he would say, I'm going to give God 60 seconds to kill me. And he would begin to curse God for those 60 seconds. And he would say, see there, that proves there is no God. No. It's just not your time to go into the fire yet, Mr. Huxley. But the time did come. In fact, he's so famous, unless you've heard me use him as a sermon illustration, You've never heard of the man. That's how important he is. You see, the psalmist, a thousand years before Jesus was born, if David was the author, wrote these words, Thou hast trodden down all them that err from thy statutes. Thou puttest away all the wicked of the earth like dross. You know what the um, they do not honor the tomb of Saddam Hussein today now do they? They don't honor the tomb of many of these great wicked men. In fact purposefully sometimes we don't even know where they're buried because people are afraid that bad things would happen to them that's why Adolf Hitler chose to burn himself up in a pit and and have no remains left for posterity when dross is removed from the refining process it's just so much garbage to be thrown away he says therefore I love Thy testimonies. One more verse and we'll finish this stroke tonight. He says, My flesh trembleth for fear of thee, and I am afraid of thy judgments. He says, My flesh trembleth for fear of thee. Now we've had so much preaching in the last 20 years and very little of it based in the Bible. Let me tell you something. The Bible is true. God is love. Amen? But God doesn't love sin. He does not condone the wicked deeds of mankind. And the psalmist, as he's writing these verses, how many times has he referenced people sitting and princes spoke against him? The ungodly dug pits for him which are not according to thy law. Repeatedly, he said, my soul is in my hand. He said, if, it's, if I make the wrong decision, these wicked men that are chasing me are going to apprehend me and destroy me and wipe me off the face of the earth. He says, almost had I been consumed upon the earth. But almost isn't all the way, Amen. And see, it's easy to think of what God is going to do to the great, wicked people out there. It's not so comfortable when we look at the great God and say, what do I deserve for my transgressions and my iniquities? 
This is where the psalmist is going. God will judge his people. That's why the Bible tells us that we should judge ourselves. How are you going to judge yourself? Uh, The same way you're upheld? That's why you need to read your Bible. That's why we pass out those Bible reading schedules. You know what? You'll find an awful lot in Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Haggai and Zechariah and Malachi and all of those prophets that sound like we're reading tomorrow's newspaper, does it not? You ought to read the book of Daniel. He spent a whole chapter confessing the sins of his people. If you'd like to see God bless America again, don't sing a song and demand that he does it. Get on your knees and confess the sins of this nation and this people to God and ask him to cleanse it and restore us. Thank God would hear that prayer, don't you? God does not expect unrighteous people to act righteously. But over and over again, he exhorts his people. We've gotten to a point to where the Christians are no longer ashamed of their sin. To where Christians no longer have any conviction at all when they do something that the Bible says is wrong. The psalmist, as he reaches a much more mature level here that is described in the Samic strophe, he's 15 out of 22 strophes in, he finally says, listen, I'm afraid of God. My flesh trembleth for fear of thee. Now, Does that mean that when God comes, we should run into a little closet and hide and pretend we're hiding from God? Can you hide from God, my friend? Adam and Eve tried that in the garden. didn't work. Now did it. The best illustration I can give, and it's not a very good one, but I'll just give it again. You go down into the basement of this building, we have 400 amps of three-phase power that supply the electricity for this building. I'll tell you what, every once in a while, I was told by an electrician, you just open the box and look in there and make sure everything's okay. Don't touch anything. So every once in a while, I open that box and I look in there. That's perfectly safe. But you know what he told me? He says, every good electrician is afraid of electricity. That's why he's still alive. You see, the greatest sin we as Christians can commit is to treat God commonly and his word commonly and his holiness is to presume upon his forgiveness. That's why Hebrews chapter 12 is in your Bible. Let's, we, uh, we're just about out of time here. Let's just take a moment 
and turn there. I'd encourage you to read some of the other verses that we have here. Hebrews chapter 12. It says, Wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Just go back a few pages in your Bible to the book of First Peter chapter 4, verse 17. It says, For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Listen, we, we need to understand who God is. If we could just get a vision of the holiness of God. How many remember what Isaiah said when he saw the holiness of God? He said, Woe is me, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips. What did Daniel When Jesus himself, from all the descriptions that we understand in the Bible, came and gave Daniel revelation, it says that he fell on his face and that person spoke to him and he said, I can't speak to you, I have no strength. And yet he reached out and touched him and said, be strong. And he said, and I receive strength. Daniel said, all of my comeliness was turned to corruption. This is what the psalmist is. He says, I am afraid of thy judgments. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have kept God's law perfectly this past week from Sunday till now? I'm just showing you what to do. I'm going to be honest and just like the rest of you are and keep my hand down. We've all lost our temper. You know what? That's sin, isn't it? We've all thought thoughts that didn't belong in the mind of a Christian, in the heart of a Christian, did we not? We've all been tempted in many manners of sin. And and if you can't see it, the reason is, is because you need the Holy Spirit of God to make you more sensitive to what sin really is. Amen? And he says, and I am afraid of thy judgments. Could I put it to you this way? Could you allow God to make you more afraid of disobeying Him than you are of offending the people you work with? Could you allow God to make you more afraid of upsetting Him by your wrong behavior than you are afraid of your friends at school? Say, well, I don't want to offend them. Well, listen, I don't want to offend God. And you know what? Sometimes that means that I have to offend a man. Now, be careful. 
don't allow it to become the Pharisee and depart from me, holier. That's not Bible. If you think holiness centers on you, you're in deep, deep trouble, my friend. But if you'll get consumed with God's holiness, you'll find out how short, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But then what does that do? That just sends me right back. Will you uphold me, Lord, according to your word so that I can live? Will you hold me so that I can be safe? Will you teach me to hate those vain thoughts and allow me to hide myself in you? Will you allow my body and my spirit and my being to understand the greatness and the holiness of God and the perfection of His law. If you'll let God's Word do those things in your life, let me tell you, you talk about radical change, you've got it right there. It will change the way you think. It'll change the way you wake up. It will change the way you go to bed. It will change everything about you. And by the way, isn't that what God's Word is supposed to do? And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. We look at these verses and Lord... We ask that it would not just be an academic uh, exercise in finding the words and their meanings and putting them together and chasing them through the scriptures, but Lord, that it would be a spiritual endeavor to draw us closer to you and to make our lives obedient to the words that we have studied here tonight. We ask that we would allow your word to do a work in our individual souls. And Lord, that we as individual souls, when we come together to worship you in this building, that we would draw your attention and your desires, that you would build your church right here and be honored and glorified in it. Lord, we ask that you would make us faithful, that you allow us to have respect unto thy commandments unto thy precepts diligently, continually, as the psalmist said in this one. Lord, we ask you to work in our hearts and in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's just take a moment tonight, and we won't have the music. We'll just have it quiet. If you need to just slip out and talk to the Lord about some things in your life, the altar is open. We'll take just a few moments. If anyone needs to come, now is the time.